Hello and welcome to the Cinephile New Wave episode 2. On today's episode, we will be talking about the uh, 1967 film In the Heat of the Night. Uh, Duran, would you like to... Uh, er, <laughs> I'm Nick. <laughs> um, I'm Duran. Uh, Duran, would you like to start us off? Sure. Um, so, just reading about the film's production on Wikipedia, there's some interesting things. Uh, first of all, um, everything that we say about this film, and I'm probably going to be roasting this film a lot, but this does come with a context that it's, like, about 50 years old, and this is, like, one of the first, if not, like, the first film to really explicitly talk about race, and I like a, like a major Hollywood studio film. Um, and I think that there's, You're all like, good, homie. Yeah. I think, I think there's a certain amount of, uh, like, props that we should give it for that. Like, for example, um... This is the first, it says on, on, the, on the Wikipedia page that it's the first major Hollywood film in color that was lit with proper consideration for a black person, which is pretty interesting. Um, and I think that it's, uh, the, the color and the lighting was very, like, specific. There, it was, there was definitely, like, something, uh, at least non-standard that I noticed, but I guess definitely that clears yeah, there's... up a lot. The the color grading in general is just very, uh, very. It, it looked very nice, but like, mm -hmm. it it's, just looked a lot different than a lot of films from like the late sixties. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, I, at first I thought it was because of the restoration that I was watching, but I think that little like uh, blip explains a lot, actually. Um, yeah. Another uh, interesting I, thing. Yeah, sorry. Whoop. Go ahead. Yeah. Um. I was just gonna say uh, I found this. I found a little interesting tidbit where um, Sidney Poitier uh, insisted that the movie be filmed in the North because of an incident that he and Harry Belafonte were almost killed by the Ku Klux Klan during a visit to Mississippi. Uh, the race, the 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 South is a bad place for uh, for for everything. I live in Florida. I know this. <laughs> um, yeah. It. There's there's, so, a, there's actually a scene in the movie where um, Mr. Tibbs, Sidney Poitier's character, gets chased down by a bunch of like crazy racist dudes and like a, they don't say Ku Klux Klan explicitly, but right. they are they do have the fucking Confederate, Confederate flag, flag license Th that's, plate, that's, which is that's yeah. that's far enough. That's, the camera like zooms in to, to the to the Confederate license plate, which is pretty funny. Um, but yeah. so like at first I thought that scenes like that were maybe a little bit like too on the nose or maybe a bit unrealistic but this tidbit that you that you mentioned i mean yeah it, it almost seems like they didn't they might have not even gone far enough in the film yeah yeah and i i like we said this was kind of the first film to like kind of explicitly you know talk about this kind of stuff when it was definitely not being talked about as much even in the late 60s right um i think that the beginning of the film is very interesting because um, I, I, at first I found it kind of odd that Mr. Tibbs didn't reveal he was a detective to um, the guy who brought him in. But I think there's a couple of reasons why he didn't do that. And I think it was Sam who brought him in, right? The, yeah. The cop. Yeah. So I like that because, well, first of all, I don't, I don't know if Sam would have even been, like, responsive 
to anything that Tibbs would be saying because uh, obviously of like the racial component there. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how it was back in the day, but my theory, uh, I'm just going to put it out there was that like, this was going to be like a huge shock to the audience that there was a, you know, black police officer in this film. I think so too. Yeah, definitely. There's a shock factor there. And also the other, the other like major scene of shock is the one where, um, uh, Mr. Tibbs slaps back um, Ellicott or Endicott. Definitely. Yeah. And Endicott is the, um, he's basically like a, a modern day plantation owner. He, he owns like a giant cotton plantation that um, employs mainly African Americans and, and like, and, and roles that are very reminiscent of um, slaves from just 100 years ago uh, from when the film was filmed. Yeah. Um, so of course, like at the time, it seemed like that slap was like one of the most like shocking aspects of the film since of course it would be um unthinkable for like a black person to hit a white person and get away with it even if that person deserved it yeah i i kind of love how they they that that shot kind of continues and they he's just crying afterwards yeah <laughs> that was so good i was i was laughing pretty hard when i saw him when i saw him crying it felt good it's also because um i i i thought that mr tibbs was just an incredible character um since he has all of this he's like all it with such like confidence it's just so good yeah definitely confidence and also he feels he feels like very very angry but underneath the surface yeah and i feel like that's um an interesting characteristic um especially for like a black character during this time since i feel yeah. like there is all there, there's all this like um built up anger after like you know years of oppression and generational oppression that i'm sure that yeah almost feels like it's gonna explode at like any instant it's um, it, i think part of it is like he knows where he is so he can't lash out as much as he would like to yeah that's for sure and also yeah un- the unfortunate reality is um he needs to be better than the people that are, um, you know, messing with him. Yeah. Or else uh, he'll just get screwed over by the system. Um, Definitely. I, I, um, I really liked when, like, when they finally decided to, <laughs> to first use the N-word was, was when, like, they, they had only been using boy up to that point, which is, like, degrading enough, but still... When they finally dropped it, it was like, it was it was still shocking to me. And like, when Tibbs just kind of speaks up, he's like, "My name is Mister Tibbs." Right, and then that's like probably the most famous line in the movie. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Or they call me Mister Tibbs. They call me Mister Tibbs, right? <laughs> screwed it up. <laughs> it's okay. You're most not Sydney Poitier. Movie and I screwed it up. um yeah uh i really liked some of the technical aspects of this movie um the cinematography i i it it was weird in some places but in general i I, it was very like striking to me it was very striking Uh, there's an early shot that we talked about earlier where um it's it's a it's a close-up of a car car stopping yeah right and then yeah it's like it's really like strange like the camera just like almost zooms evil in. deadish that's a, yeah i guess that's a good way of putting it <laughs> yeah 
Um, but then, like, nothing like that ever happens, I think, <laughs> yeah, in the film afterwards. Yeah, nothing, yeah. And there's, like, just um, some, some really strange choices. Like, the scene where um, Tibbs is fighting off the, uh, like, the racist mob inside of, like, I think it's, like, a, like a car shop or something. Yeah. Uh, um, there's, like, some really strange, like, Dutch angles that zoom. Um, and I think, like, you don't actually see him, like, hitting any of the mob members. Oh, yeah, that the whole, like, fight choreography during that scene was just very, like, strange, which, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess, like, you know, 67, that's still a pretty, like, primitive compared to what we do now, but, like... Right. But even just, e- even then, it, just, it felt yeah. so awkward. I don't know. Um, it's like they just didn't know how to approach it, so they were just like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think... I, I liked how they definitely did some unique things with some of the framing and the camera movement in the, in the film, but I think I'm pretty mixed on the cinematography overall. However, yeah. I do think that um, the the color grading was really good. I really like the colors, um, yeah. especially at night. Um, there's, there's a couple yeah, scenes. Yeah, all that looked really good. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a couple scenes outside of the diner um, with, like, the neon lights. Um... I think I think all of those like looked really 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 nice. Definitely. Um, um, but also, we... talking about the uh, like the technical aspects, let's talk about the editing a little bit. Yeah, which the, I... uh, the very strange editing. I like. I think it's just terribly edited. <laughs> um, there was several times in which I had absolutely no idea what the current scene had to do with the previous scene and there's just like these like strange time jumps where um like with with basically like no context you're taken from um night to daylight like i think there's there's one near the end of the film where um the chief of police goes into the bank right and it's like it just suddenly day but i think the scene before it is night which oh yeah completely confused me and, and i feel like yeah. A lot of the times, like, a lot of the investigation just felt really, like, um, there, there wasn't a lot of connecting threads, since, since usually the editing would, 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 like, kind of do that for you. Yeah, you were, you're, you're definitely pointing this out much more than I actually noticed it. I just kind of, mm-hmm. like, sat back and just, like, let it kind of piece together, even though, like, I don't know. Uh, but... You you mentioned the bank. I don't think I would have thought about it that hard unless you mentioned it. But yeah, that was really jarring. Yeah, there, there's a couple scenes like that, and especially like, um, I don't remember the scene before, but the transition between whatever scene it was before to, um, the scene when the first suspect is like running from the police. I don't remember his name. It's the guy who who they jailed at the beginning. I don't I don't remember. Was his name Woods or was that the officer? Uh. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. The uh, the the man on the run. Yeah, that was like I don't know what the hell is happening. Like, where yeah. is this guy? How do they find him? Why is he running through a forest? And then like the actual editing. Well, they inside at the, the very forest. least they 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 did have the call beforehand where it was That's like uh, chief got he has to go somewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then it just ah uh, I, I don't know I, I just it's felt just like, like here's this man. I, I just felt like a lot of the connecting threads in the film weren't handled very well and i think a lot of that has to do with the poor editing in my opinion yeah um what a man yeah <laughs> uh so 
I just really like the character of, of uh, Virgil Tibbs. He's just... He's great, I yeah. Just, I love him. I, he's just very, like... He, he is maybe among, like, the most stoic protagonists I've seen in in a film. It's yeah. He's just that... He's just so strong. He's, he's just such a strong lead. I think that um, the stoicism isn't also just for no reason, like you see in a lot of action movies. Like like I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of it is that kind of bottled up rage. Yeah, that's it's, right. It's to totally underplayed, second. which is amazing. And there's only like a couple times where he really explodes. There's this one part um, where I think it's it's after um, he meets with um, Endicott, right? Yeah. And he's really really angry there because I think I think that all of the racial tension is like just starting to boil over at the end of that scene. Um, yeah. Which I, I really liked. I really liked that betrayal. I think that's pretty nuanced take on um, on racism, especially like by uh, by a film so early as this one. Yeah. Um, um, but I think I think like for sure like Poitier was like the standout performance out of everyone in the cast. Definitely. I mean, I did I did like uh, Rod Rod Steiger. I think his mm-hmm. name is yeah. yeah Rod Steiger as uh, chief of police because like. It's it's not explicit. Well, it's explicit in the end, but like it begins not explicit that he's going to have an arc by the end of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the beginning, I mean, he's pretty hostile towards um, Mister Tibbs, and yeah. Uh, but by the end, they seem to be buddies. There's like that shot at the very end when um, Tibbs is getting on the train, and I think they smile at each other. Yeah, they say like "take care" or whatever. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. There's like a reverse shot. Well, that, um, I, the scene, like, right before that, when they're just hanging out in the house, I think that was all improvised when, when oh, they're really? just hanging out in the sheriff's house. Yeah. Hmm. I thought that was pretty cool because we don't usually see, um, Virgil as just kind of being casual. Um, yeah. he, he's like very, very professional, which he has to be, you know, as a, um, as a black man working in the sixties in the police department he has to be like on top of his game every single second or else he'll get screwed over but um i thought that was really interesting and like there's just there's like this very he's very he's acting very differently than he does um on the job there definitely i i i kind of loved how it how it starts how it's this like this oh it's an unlikely pairing of these two people and then it's like it, it just does get worked out in the end and it's I don't think I expected the way it, it the way it unfolded. Um, you mean the relationship between these two characters? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, between uh, the sheriff and Tibbs. Yeah, and I, I definitely think that um, Virgil, uh, well, uh, the chief meeting Virgil probably did help him see, um, uh, you know, race kind of like in a new light. Yeah, since um, one of like the first steps to uh easing racial tensions is through humanization yeah so a lot of times you know like it's in the culture um uh, definitely like in 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 the southern culture at this time um that a lot of these uh, african-americans were dehumanized which which is what made you know those such violent acts for them towards them so easy to commit by a lot of people so um Damn it! I had a point, and now I just can't fucking remember what I was going to say. 
Um. Anyway, uh, what did what did what did you think like overall of the film? I know you were you were kind of forewarning that you were going to tear into it, but like, um. So as as I said before, I think there's a lot of like cool things that the film does. I thought I talked about, um this kind of bottled up anger that Cindy Poitier's character has and the way that he portrays it is, is I think like really, really excellent. Um, I liked the fact that the film kind of shows the, um, uh, like the ramif the ramifications of slavery and the fact that even though like slavery is over, that doesn't mean that racism is over or like anything is really like solved um and like that that idea is kind of um uh shown by the character of um of ellicott and yeah. but <sighs> overall i'm the reason i'm feeling pretty mixed on this one is how the film ends yeah oh uh i remembered what i was gonna say so before yeah. we so before we like say all that um i really liked how a part of that relationship was like the sheriff just realizing that he's inadequate at his job is Tibbs coming in and being like, well, this can't be possible because he was left-handed. And, you know, all of those examples of like, oh God, we're not good at this, are we? Yeah. And they were just like, all right, I guess we have to. Right. I, yeah. We have to work with him. I mean, that's kind of like shattering their sense of superiority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's um let's talk, about, let's the talk about the film's ending. Yeah. Um I I I was really disappointed in this one because on at first I thought like you that Endicott was behind the murder. Yeah. Um like he had something to do with it because um the dude who was murdered, I forget his name. <laughs> uh was like trying to mess with I, I his think business. It started or with a C, but anyway. Okay, yeah. <laughs> He was, like, trying to mess with um, uh, Endicott's business, so this lets all this stuff happening. And I thought, like, by arresting Endicott, it would be some kind of a commentary on on racism. And I think I think, I think think if the if the film ended with... Colbert, by the way. Colbert, okay. I think if the, if the film ended with Endicott being arrested, it would have been slightly better, but also it would have kind of oversimplified the the racial issues this film brings up since it would kind of say like oh this is the character that represents racism with him in jail you know all of this stuff can just go away and we can move on from 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 racism basically i'll debate that a little in saying that you know there there were still hints of like the other characters like they they still certainly won't be accepting of tibbs even after all this is over because only right. really the the sh sheriff and some of the officers come around to you know right tibbs but i mean being... like most of the racist mob i believe was actually hired by endicott yeah so and like those are the people that are like kind of like irredeemable in a lot of ways yeah so with endicott gone i mean since like he's the one kind of controlling those guys the implication is that um you know, with him gone and people like him gone, then racism will be gone, basically. But yeah. obviously, the film did not end like that. The... It ended with an abortion subplot. <laughs> yeah. Which How is did we get here? Yeah. 
It, it, it felt, like, so thrown together at the last minute, almost. I don't know. Yeah. But... I just, like... You know... It, it just... It didn't challenge, like, the deep s systematic problems, which, I mean, yeah, I guess that would have been hard to do in the 60s, but, like, mm -hmm. still... It, it didn't really do anything, and it was just, like... Uh, you, you remember the guy who was in the diner at the beginning and <laughs> the naked woman? Yeah. Yeah, they had an affair... And he, he killed he killed Colbert by accident. Just just some, like, just because just he, he, he wanted the money. Also, it was an accident that fuck? he died. I okay. So when the movie ended, I was so confused. I had to like look up the Wikipedia summary to make sure I missed anything, because I just I had completely no idea what the hell was going on. Yeah, for like once it ended, I was like, wait, 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 wait. What was the motivation? And then I then I was I like I had to piece it back together that it was like. That this was about fucking stolen abortion money. Yeah. Like, really? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at this point, why even bring up any of these, uh, like, race issues at all? It, yeah. doesn't, it almost feels, like, out of place in the film. Um, but, okay. I will concede that, like you said, it is 1967, right? Yeah. So there is only so much they could, I guess, push... Um, their commentary on race but i still really feel like you know yeah it's just like, is, it, it like, didn't do anything yeah because like this is like the most important part of the movie up to this point all the stuff that's happening with poitier and then like the the fact that there's literally a plantation owner character in this film that runs a fucking cotton factory like it does not get any more explicit than that. He has a literal fucking blackface figure statue outside yeah, his home. Like, like, <laughs> and then they like, just like really, the really, we're going with the, the fucking man from the beginning in the diner, <laughs> right? I, I just I don't know what to what to do with this at all. Doesn't make any um, sense. But to address like my overall feelings, I I um I gave it I think like a three-and-a-half-star review on Letterboxd, so... I I really did... I liked a lot of things that were going on in the film, but, like, this ending was... It just kind of killed it. It was just like, what is this? Yeah, it definitely killed it for me. I think I was... I was definitely liking the film more as it went on, because I thought that it was going to do something... Well, I just... I liked a lot of the commentaries it was doing, and, um... Although I had some problems with the technical aspects, I did feel like... It was being creative in certain places. Like, we talked about the cinematography. Um, yeah. And definitely, like, the color. Um, so this was... It was remade as a um, as a television series. So I wonder if they did anything differently there. I don't know. I think I think also there was a couple of film sequels as well starring... Yeah. Uh, I think the, the second one was They Call Me Mr. Tibbs. And then nice. the third one was... The Organization. Find it. Yeah, The Organization. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. I really, I don't know what to think of it overall. I mean, I think, I think it is an important part of film history, but, Definitely. um, and it really does some interesting things that are, for the time, pretty progressive, but I don't, I don't know. But that ending. Yeah, the ending just kind of kills the movie for me. Yeah. It, it's just weird. It's just a weird choice. Mm -hmm. just a just a very like i don't know i i want to i do want to like kind of read into it see if there's like 
you know, am I missing, like, a historical context about that or something? But, like, it just seems so out of place and weird. Exactly. I mean, um, I think that if you were going to have kind of a twist ending like that, you should at least characterize the guy that committed the murder the entire movie is about. Yeah. Instead of just, like, like, make him the guy in the diner. Yeah. Not even that. It was, like, two and a half minutes, maybe. Exactly. Like, he was in the beginning for, he, like, gave, he almost gave Sam a pie. And he didn't actually give him a pie. And then he was in the other scene of the diner. And then he was in the end of the movie, and that's it. Like, really? (laughs) You know, actually, the, the funny thing is, I didn't even recognize who he was. Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I was... A lot of these white people look the same, I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> I, I literally did not know who he was at the end of the film, so I had to, like, I, I, I had to Google the plot summary and be like, oh, it's the guy in the diner. <clears throat> like, really? I think I, I think I at least clued it together during the movie, but, yeah, the fact that anyone can be like, wait, who the fuck was this guy? Yeah. <sighs> and I, I just... I struggle to understand, I think, what this film was trying to say about race yeah due to the ending um i just i am not i'm not really sure what what it's doing i don't know yeah any any other thoughts um i don't know i don't i don't think so just i i do want to make it clear that i did have overall positive feelings for the film though i think i'm pretty like down the middle here i don't know yeah all right. Um, well, uh, we switched it up. Uh, we decided to do the movie uh, first this week, but um, we will be moving on to the news now. All right. Uh, What's the so, first thing in the news? Um, AMC is having substantial doubts about their survival, to which I say, I th- think they won't go out of business. I think they're just going to have to foreclose. Hmm. And uh, not liquidation, but like just... Uh, you know debt restructuring i don't i just i have my own doubts about like amc going completely away why is that i you know it's they're just like they're the largest uh movie theater company in america and just the fact that the fact that they're saying they'll just go away and everybody else isn't really crying wolf about it is is kind of where i come from but I don't know. I could be wrong. We could we could never step inside an AMC theater again. Who knows? Um, the reason I believe it is is for a few reasons. Well, first of all, I mean, people have been saying and it's been showing that movie theaters have been dying for the last 10, 20 years or so. Because uh, the way that we consume uh, film and media now is like far, far different than in the heyday of the theater. Um, yeah. And also... I mean, due to the uh, coronavirus pandemic, well, no one is going inside movie theaters anymore, and they haven't been for the last couple months. Um, yeah. And I think, I think like, just these two factors might be enough to, to close AMC forever. But... Maybe. But I I think to, to, to counter-argue, I don't think that theaters are failing considering how much money, like... We we had a we we finally beat Avatar, uh, you know. Endgame finally beat Avatar at the box office last year, and that was like a major feat. And like, I I don't know if I expected that to really happen. And the fact that uh, I mean, it makes sense considering the price of movie tickets are yeah. so expensive nowadays. I mean, if we really if we factor in inflation, 
are we sure that it still beat Avatar? I don't know. I'm not sure, uh, but I mean, whatever. Gone with the Wind still wins because they released that movie ten thousand times. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think that th- this. I think that's kind of more of an exception than anything else because yeah. When when we see like these uh, these movies that make like a billion dollars most of the money isn't going to the theaters as you know i mean most, the theaters have to that's the reason why um but shit that's why popcorn's so goddamn expensive now yeah exactly no that's why yeah concessions are so expensive and that's why also tickets are so expensive now yeah. so i don't really know if that's like enough to say that theaters are doing so well nevertheless i mean even if amc as a company goes down i don't necessarily think that like all the theaters are just going to disappear. I mean, they'll probably yeah. be bought up by like either smaller companies or by fucking Disney, Cinemark, whoever. <laughs> um, I know. I, mean, th- I know there were rumors of um, Amazon buying AMC. God, Jesus. I mean, I guess that'd be better than Disney buying everything because I think. Yeah. I don't know if this legislation passed, but there was talk of something in Congress. It yeah. So it I think it passed the Senate. Or where does it go first? It goes, you have to pass the Senate and then pass Congress, or is it the other way around? So I think you do representatives it, first, then the Senate. Because I yeah, I think it passed um, the House. So yeah, so I think it passed the House, and then they're just waiting on the Senate to mm-hmm. approve or disapprove. So what, what we're talking about is a piece of legislation that makes it so um, studios cannot um, own theaters. So back in, like, the 20s and the 30s... The Paramount Consent uh, Decrees. Mm-hmm. Back in the 20s and the 30s, there was... Um, the studios had, like, a, basically a vertical monopoly on film uh, uh, production and distribution. But this law was passed so that um, they, they wouldn't have that monopoly. So basically... Yeah, studios, studios couldn't... They couldn't own uh, theaters anymore. Right. But... But now, because this administration is uh, pretty fucked. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's entirely them, like this administration that's like behind it. I think it's a lot of changing factors. One of our other stories will go into uh, this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but any- anyway. Yeah. Shit's fucked right now. <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely not in support of this, because I think the idea of a studio owning a theater chain is a terrible one because it means they could basically play only their own films so like for example um there is no incentive for disney to let's say they buy up a bunch of like amc theaters they can just only show disney films there um which is you know terrible i mean that's going to really screw over a lot of independents Studios I think that and a lot I of, think like, that that might be like the thing that they like stop is that they they'll have some like amendment to to that saying like all right if you're gonna do this you have to play other people's films because that's just where did you hear about that? Uh, no, I'm just saying that that'll I feel like that'll probably be the the like the thing that stops them is like this kind of situation where like Disney buys AMC or something like that. And I, I just, I don't think it'll, like, pass if it's if it's going to be completely, uh, you know, one-sided like that. 
Mm, I don't know about that. I, I think know. you're being a bit optimistic. Yeah, maybe I am. Because I think that um, theater industry is kind of fucked. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty. It's pretty bad. Uh, so that's. I think like that's the main fear if AMC goes down. I mean, I have no doubt that like theaters will still exist for at least a few more decades. Yeah. I don't really know or care if AMC is gonna still be like in its current form as it is today. But so I, I don't think that people should be afraid that like the actual theaters themselves will be torn down. Yeah. Um so I uh I actually did like a um uh a article about this recently. I'm a journalism major. Um I I just talked about um theaters and like where they're heading for the future and um I actually got to talk with um uh higher up at Regal and his his kind of uh you know, consensus, or ex, he's ex-Regal, I should say. Um, but his kind of consensus was that, like, movies, movie theaters aren't going to die out completely. What we're probably going to see in the future is, um, you know, less theaters, less showtimes, um, less screens. So, like, if More you have, like, tickets. a... Yeah. If you have, like, a 20-plus screen theater near you, that may be downgraded to something like 10 or 8 because it's in its current form it's just not like sustainable as it once was right um and then so like if we go like this to this idea of like um the premium theater experience with like i don't know 25 dollars tickets um food being served to you all that kind of stuff and we're seeing that today a lot of like these theaters are going like the premium route um that is kind of the perfect audience for something like like a company like disney to come up and make the theater kind of exclusively show their own films because we know that uh like the 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 disney mcu films for example are still doing extremely well in the theaters um and if disney were to buy out a bunch of theaters and then exclusively show those films they could really like make even more money than they're doing right now yeah i well that's my thing is i think disney's the only one that could probably sustainably only show their own films because i don't think other companies uh put out movies as fast as that probably which I mean, not yeah. but i mean they also own like what 40 percent of all film production uh, right yeah. now which is yeah. almost a, it's not okay it's not almost a monopoly but it's getting there so I don't, I don't know. I, think, I, I, think I feel like, like I feel like the situation is not looking good for those that like to watch movies that aren't only Disney movies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I I I I'm the person here that still does enjoy like Star Wars and Marvel. Say what you will about recent films. Um, I still kind of enjoy going to like big spectacle movies, and I would. I'd, it'd kind of suck if, you know, I never went into a theater again to see all that, but I don't think it'll completely go away. Not in, not, not soon, at least. I don't, I don't think it'll go away either. I think what I'm concerned about is that um, Just only, only Disney movies or only, like, huge budget movies are going to be in theaters. And I, th- I think it's increasingly looking like this is what's going to happen. 
I, th you know what? In all honesty, I think that might be the case. And then, you know, independent theaters. I think independent theaters will still be around because. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, don't, also, I don't doubt that either. Yeah. I also talked to, um, you know, a local independent theater. Their PR person was like, "Yeah, we're actually doing." all right yeah it's not the best it could be but like we're doing okay during this time and we'll probably still be around when this is all over which by this you mean the coronavirus yeah, yeah. okay <sighs> anyway uh go go to the movies when when they open back up not well, immediately do, wait a little well, bit first <laughs> do it do it when it's safe but yeah. like but also please go to the movies because i don't want this to end um, what, what you should be doing is, um, helping out your independent theaters close to you. So donate to like your local art theaters or, um, I know a lot of them, including, um, the AFI and Silver Spring have partnered up with other companies and are allowing, um, uh, yeah, Kino like, on demand. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like mobile, uh, I mean, uh, like virtual screening rooms for, for movies yeah so you um try to, try i've, to I've done those. it so um what you do is like you can just buy a ticket to that theater and it'll get you into like a certain movie and you can then just watch that movie on you know your computer or your uh, tv or wherever you want to watch it mm -hmm. which is it's really cool it's it's nice that you know they have this option yeah definitely definitely do that because um I feel like at the end of the day the people that are probably going to suffer the most uh the theaters that are going to probably suffer the most um from the pandemic are probably gonna be the independent ones so it's it's good to, so, to show our support for them right now when they need us yeah. all right uh do you have anything more to say about this because we've i think we've been on this for like 10 minutes i do but we can more. move on for now do you do you want to say it i'm no i'm, I'm okay. open to let's, keep talking about let's, this uh, let's move on all right um you know this piece of news came out uh just before our last episode um dropped or I guess we dropped it, like, yesterday, so... This timeline's all screwed up. Anyway, Sonic 2's happening. I mean, that makes sense, considering the first one made a lot of money, right? It, yeah, it did. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said last episode, I saw it. It's, um, it's, it's a fun kids movie, but it's nothing more than that. I'm, I'm interested. I'm actually interested in, you know, seeing where this goes. Because Jim Carrey's really good in that movie. Like, where the second one goes? Or like, where the franchise yeah. goes? Because cause they they uh, they set up um, spoilers for Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, they set up Tails, mm. uh, being part of the movie. So you know who knows if we're gonna get like the full fucking Sonic roster. I'm not even that big of a Sonic fan, and I'm like, sure, you know what? Why not? Was the Sonic movie? Did it have like a medium sized budget, or was it, like a big budget movie? Do you know? I well, I want to say it was like more medium-ish it, it's like medium for a blockbuster if that makes gotcha. any sense okay yeah so, so it, it was it was 81 to 95 okay yeah so they probably since they did pretty well on that they might like up the budget i think they made like 500 million so like they definitely made their money back mm -hmm. yeah i think like this is like one of the first successful video game movies <laughs> At least on, like, yeah. a pretty big scale. Um, like, the Resident Evil franchise did okay, but, like, I think it was never, like, a big money earner. Nor did it really follow the video games at all. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't think any video game movie has done that. Except for the one good video game movie <laughs> that I've mentioned before and I'll mention it again. 
Takashi Miike's Ace Attorney adaptation. It's pretty. It's pretty good. Check it out. I watched the entire thing on my phone. It's true. No one knows. No one knows why he did it, but God bless him for doing it. I'd be surprised if he didn't do it, considering how many movies he's done. Yeah, he puts out like three a year, right? Something like that. <laughs> I think he's directed over a hundred films at this point, and he's like sixty. All right. Uh, you want to take one of the next pieces? All right. Sure. Yeah. Um, so something that Criterion just announced is that um, they are donating some money to um, some uh, Black Lives Matter charities, which is great. I mean, considering um, it's good that they're showing support for the, the black community. And also um, on their streaming service, they're, um, they're making uh, films from uh, black filmmakers from all the way in the silent era to uh, contemporary ones uh, for free. Uh, so that, uh, yeah. this, this service that they have, the Criterion channel, is, is like a paid service like Netflix. But um, they're, they're going to allow, like, uh, these films that promote um, uh, <clears throat> the African-American experience to be free, which is, I think, I think really great. Um, yeah. Some highlights. I got a, I got a, yeah, I got a list here. Uh, do you want to read it or? Uh, let me just, let me just, uh, yeah, you read the list and I'll, I'll tell you some that I like. All right. So, um, you know, they, this includes films by uh, people like Charles Burnett, who I know you're a huge fan of. Uh, oh, yeah. Julie Dash, uh, William Greaves, uh, Kathleen Collins, Cheryl Dunye. I, I'm, I'm never sure how to pronounce her name, but um, yeah. Uh, Maya Angelou. I, I'll be honest, I don't recognize some of these names, but like the fact that they're doing it is just a very nice thing. And I, really appreciate it for sure um i'm really a big fan of charles burnett um i've been i've been looking for a place to watch my brother's wedding for like i don't even know how long now i think it's been like five months because there's no dvd of it that's in the united states um that's not like a hundred dollars um it's it wasn't on any streaming services and i couldn't even torrent it like i've been trying to like download it illegally for so long but no avail to no avail so finally they released uh that film um which is great i'm gonna definitely check that out soon um and they also released a bunch of shorts by burnett and a couple documentaries which i'm gonna check out um his two other films that i've seen that i really like are um killer of sheep which is was a student film that he made um that was only released uh fairly recently actually um even though he he directed it in i think the 70s and also, um, one of my favorite films of all time, uh, To Sleep With Anger, which stars, I still need to get around to that. Yeah, I highly recommend that one. It stars um, uh, Danny Glover. Um, I think that's, that's... The man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, I think, I think there, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on with, like, uh, interesting, like, African fo uh, folklore. And um, uh, there's, like, these subtle callbacks to Burnett's own life that... He mentioned a couple of interviews that I've um, listened to by him, uh, but definitely check out his work. I think he's probably one of the most underrated American filmmakers. Um, he's vastly underappreciated, um, even though he's yeah. gone to inspire like countless uh, American filmmakers. Since if I'm then. to be honest, like before before we like 
started doing film classes, I don't think I had ever heard of Charles Burnett. Oh, no, I hadn't either. Um, actually, the first time I saw... The reason why I saw Killer of Sheep for the first time was because it was assigned at one of my film classes. Hmm. Cool, yeah. So, a uh, glowing recommendation of Charles Burnett all around, even though I haven't seen uh, any of his movies. <laughs> but <laughs> And I, I've, only, I've only seen two, because as I said before, his films are actually really hard to find, which is unfortunate. But I'm, I'm glad that Criterion is doing this uh, spotlight on him and other black filmmakers. Um, I'm definitely going to check out everything they, they put out by him and definitely some of the other stuff also they put out uh, for free as well. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, I should mention that other piece of news that I was talking about that deals with this theater thing, but Netflix uh, just bought the Egyptian theater in, uh, in Hollywood. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the Egyptian theaters is, is one of those like historical theaters that's on the the strip and like you know premieres happen there and all that but um yeah they they just flat out bought it recently <laughs> so do we do we know if like the theater was facing like hard times and netflix I'm was just kind not, of like there i'm not entirely certain hmm. but i want to say uh I, I wouldn't be surprised, considering, <laughs> yeah, considering like the pandemic and everything. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if like they weren't doing so well. So yeah, let me try and let me try and find some correct information. Sure. Um, I I have like honestly like I I was talking about how like I'm very opposed to big companies owning um, like a lot of theaters and everything like that. I'm not so. I don't really care about a company owning like kind of like a novelty theater like this. You know, for like a single one, like I don't think it really doesn't really matter to me. I, I'm more concerned about um, yeah the, the broader I mean, plus, implications. You know, like yeah, like like when it, when it, when a company owns like a hundred, two hundred, or three hundred, whatever theaters around like the country, then like a studio, I mean, um, then like I think that there's like a really big problem there. Yeah, well, I I think like you know Netflix is definitely like in the right for being able to do this because you know. Hollywood has just kind of shat on the streaming service and now you know now they're they're like actually making good stuff you know they they put out like Roma and the Irishman and like mm -hmm. they they deserve a place um that is true yeah I mean um we were talking about before how uh this new model of studio-owned theaters might kind of make um smaller independents or art films be pushed out of the theater but like you were saying, um, streaming has actually been very, very, very successful for um, auteur filmmakers, uh, independent filmmakers, because like you said, I mean, Netflix picked up this $200 million Scorsese project, The Irishman. Um, they were able to release mm -hmm. Quaron's Roma, which is like definitely one of the best films of 2018, which probably wouldn't have been picked up by any American studios considering it's in a, um, you know, it's not in English. Yeah. And um, I uh, mean, a lot of streaming services like Amazon Prime are doing a tour run miniseries. Like I think Nicholas Winding Griffin, the director of Drive, released um, a series called uh, "Too Old to Die Young" on the service. Plus, um, Park Chan Wook, the director of Old Boy, released um, another series on that I think last year or the year before called "The Little Drummer Girl." Um, so, like streaming is really like offering new avenues for um independent art or just smaller films um in general to 
you know, just, just get out there. Because, I mean, a lot of the times these streaming services are able to eat up um, uh, losses. Like, it's nothing since they make so much money yeah. anyway. I mean, the, the tactic for the past, like, what, like, five years is just go to cans and then buy films that look really good. Yeah. <laughs> buy, buy, like, Hulu and Netflix they're just they're just there and they're just like all right we'll take this right and i mean like it's nice it's like good for them for getting distribution definitely yeah i mean like there's there's a part of me that uh i think there's a part of me that that is sad that some of these films that are being picked up by streaming services won't have like wide theatrical releases but another part of me knows that like that would have never really happened in this environment anyway so the fact that they're able to just really get out there at all i think is just really good and I'm, and I'm glad yeah. that streaming services like Netflix, um, Amazon, and all the other ones are able to do this. All right. Next week on the uh, Netflix Shield podcast, we'll be discussing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Uh, do we want to move on? Sure. All right. Um, Ridley Scott is still hopeful about making another Alien prequel, uh, to which I say, yeah, I'm down, but, like, is Disney? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if it's PG thirteen, um, yeah, I just like I just don't know where they're going with anything nowadays, because I think that there were talks that like it was still on the schedule, still on the schedule, and then like some point they just kind of dropped it and then never discussed it ever again. And this is the first time like anybody is saying anything about it for a good well, long while. Could, I'm a huge Alien fan, so this is why I know all this shit. It could be like a. I don't know, a way for Ridley Scott to kind of, like, stir the pot and see if there's any, yeah. um, like, interest in a new alien film. I get that, like, force force the hand. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But the fact that I didn't even, like, hear about this headline until you brought it up earlier, I don't know if he's being very successful about that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a relatively new story, I think, so. Okay. Um. But... So what, what did I, you what, I, I, what did you think about the uh, the alien prequels? I I like them overall. You know, Prometheus has its problems, Covenant has its problems, but overall, like as a fan of that series, I enjoy what's happening. I enjoy watching you know Michael Fassbender be him, be two robots at once. That mm-hmm. I don't know. I enjoy it. Yeah, I think I I really did not like Prometheus, but I thought that Covenant was decent. I think it definitely got a bad rap. Although I can't really say that I'm, I really am looking like forward to a new Alien film. I know it must be different for you as a fan, yeah. But um, I don't know. I guess I get it. Yeah, I I understand where you're coming from because mm-hmm. it's it's been a rocky road. It's been like yeah, some people really don't like those movies. So yeah, and they weren't like terribly successful either, right? Yeah. Plus Ridley Scott is like kind of insane. <laughs> I am convinced that Ridley Scott cannot direct movies anymore. I wouldn't doubt it. Maybe I mean if if he gives the franchise to somebody else, like I yeah. I mean, I I really think it. It's it's. I think it should have gone to Blomkamp when he wanted to make it. Yeah, but I, I mean, he also... wanted to make Alien Five and like what. 20... I don't know. It's It's been a long time. Yeah, the thing about Bloomcamp, though, is that he's made one like, good He movie. hasn't made a good movie since District 9, and yeah. I know. I think about that literally every time that 
I bring it up, and yeah. I'm like, is he the best choice? I don't know. He had to step off fucking RoboCop recently. He was going to make, like, a RoboCop... Uh... Another one? Yeah. Well, it was going to, like, star Peter Weller and all that. It was going to be, like, a direct continuation from the first one. Huh. But I I maintain the opinion that RoboCop 2 is alright. RoboCop 3 is shitty, but, like, RoboCop 2 is alright. I think I've only watched the original. I don't really remember it. Yeah. I really like RoboCop 1. Anyway, mm. uh, this isn't what we're really talking about. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, uh, Ridley Scott, you know, if you can find the funds, go ahead and make it. I'll I'll be there. Just give it to Villeneuve. Doesn't, it doesn't mean I'll like it, but I'll be there. Yeah. Um, did you hear about uh, Ari Aster's new movie? I did not hear too much about it now. What, what's going on with that? So he recently self-described it as a four-hour nightmare comedy. Okay, so that means that it's either going to be a miniseries on a streaming service, or it's going to be two hours long. How dare you? <laughs> there is okay. There is no Snyder way. Cut will be released in theaters. There is four no. There is no way in hell that theaters are going to allow him to release a four-hour-long movie. Last time they allowed a four-hour movie was fucking Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, and that shit ain't happening again. Exactly. I mean, like, The Irishman would not have had, a like, a regular theatrical distribution. It would have been it's cut down to hell. Simply because it's too long. Exactly. No, no, no. It was... It would have been cut down to hell if it wasn't for Netflix not giving a shit. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know about that. I really liked... I really liked Midsummer. I know that you were mixed on that. I I didn't like... I think we're we're kind of flipped on his filmography, whereas I really like Hereditary, mm-hmm. but you're like not very big on Hereditary at I all. Think, I'm, I'm, I think I'm like okay, mixed on it. Oh yeah, I like the ending. And I'm but... I'm just kind of mixed on Midsummer. I know a friend who like fucking hated that movie. Like that that movie is his Antichrist, but it's strange. <laughs> not 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 to say. Uh, uh, Lars von Trier's Antichrist. I mean, the literal Antichrist. I see. Anyway. Okay. okay. I thought I would... <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he's certainly out. he's certainly one of the more promising directors working today. Yeah, he um, is. I'm definitely not, like, a diehard fan like some Redditors are. But, you know, I, I don't think he's... I think, I think he's doing some interesting things. He's not bad. Yeah. In, uh, in more broad perspective news, the world is... Uh, turning to shit um well it's not turning to shit cops have always been shitty true certain cops i'm not gonna take the a cab route i'm not ready to be there yet yell at me in the comments if you want um but john boyega uh is getting out there doing his thing uh he did a uh, speech in hyde park recently at a black lives matter uh rally where he he just kind of put it all on the line he was like i'm ready to lose my job if this shit doesn't get better this is much more important which is true. I don't think that Star Wars is as important as, uh, you know, ending racism. Yeah. <laughs> but also, he's not going to lose his job. Yeah. Because I mean, if he's fired for this, like, all of them, all of them, like, came out and were like, "Yeah, yeah, we agree with you." Yeah. If he gets fired from this, then Disney is just fucked. <laughs> yeah. Everyone will freak out. But listen, it, it, they, it is it they, is nice that he's that he's out there and, and they uh, do protesting. say they care, but then everybody is so quick to bring up that uh, Chinese poster of The Force Awakens where he's just like oh, barely in it at all. That's so funny. I love that. It's so fucked. There's like... there's a Chinese poster of um of Black Panther, 
where I think so. The original poster is just like a picture of it's, uh, it's all the Boseman. black characters, right? Yeah, and and it's him in the mask. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. the original is just it's just Chadwick Boseman's face, and then the Chinese poster is, yeah, him him in the mask. <laughs> Which is funny because it still made like a shitload of money in uh, China. Probably Did it? not as much I, as I thought like, it didn't make that much in China. Probably know. not as much as like the other Marvel films, but it it still made like I think five hundred million. Interesting. I don't know. I could be completely wrong about that. Hmm. But I, I do know that it still made a like decent amount of money in China for being a overseas movie. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing about companies coming out to support Black Lives Matter... I mean, yeah, I'm totally wrong. It was $105 million. Okay. This whole thing about like companies coming out to support Black Lives Matter... Uh, I mean, it's better that they're doing it than not doing it. Yeah. But also... I, no. It's superficial. Uh, it feels just yeah. like, yeah. Um, Which, you know, I, I think like unless like they're actually <laughs> donating any money, I just I don't really care. It's yeah. Um, Which I mean, I mean Disney did donate like two million dollars to some. Two million dollars of Disney some, money? Oh my I, god! I know. That's I, like I was half. to bring it up. <laughs> I was going to bring up how small that is. That's like <laughs> 0.02% of the amount of money they make per year. But Bruh. yeah, I, it's better that they're doing something instead of nothing at all. Yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, I think there's there's like some some smaller studios. Like, I think A24, Anna Piranha yeah. donated some. And then we talked about earlier, Criterion uh, yeah. did that as well. So, I mean, it's it's good. It's good that... It's they're good getting that they're the donating, out, but However, also you have to have I have you have to have like a bit of uh, cynicism about it as well. Yeah, dude. Oh my fucking god! I saw the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. uh, Bethesda. You know how they? You know how it's Pride Month and everybody changes their uh, logos to uh, you know. Oh rainbow? yeah, yeah, right. Someone went down Bethesda's like list, and Bethesda Middle East is still uh, the regular black logo. That's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should we move um, on to um, the last segment, personal stuff? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, Anything that you have seen, watched, read? I have been continuing to read uh, American Psycho. Um, <laughs> I'm being reminded with each page how fucked up the book is. I really need to get my <laughs> hands on a copy. I really, I really would like to read that soon. Yeah, and. Um, but other than that, I've just been kind of keeping busy with other things. So I, I advanced a little bit on the wire. Uh, I'm now on the bit where Omar is teaming up with uh, the police in episode one. So Nice. All right. Um, you yeah, haven't done too much. I watched some movies. Um, I watched uh, a few Bogdanovich movies. Nice. So we watched Paper Moons together, and then I watched Last Picture Show and Targets. So how was how was last picture show? Eh, uh, it's it's a bit tryhardy. It 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 tries way too hard to be classic. So as a dumb white American man, I'm going to love it. Eh, you might. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. It felt like annoyingly American, which is fine hmm. if it feel if it felt authentic. But I don't know. It just it felt very forced and how American it was trying to be um but i mean it's 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 decent i mean i i guess i'd give it a watch but 
Um, something that I was even more surprised about was Bogdanovich's first film, which is uh, Targets. So it's about this um, uh, this aging um, horror movie star played by uh, Boris Karloff. All right, I'm into it. <laughs> um, and he's actually kind of playing a version of himself. In the movie, nice. his name is, it's really funny. Uh, what is it? Yeah, in the movie, his name is uh, Brian Orlock. Nice. Um, and, he's, and he's also playing, like, an actor in, in the film. Um, basically, so he um, he's done with acting because he feels like all the villain roles he's given don't really reflect the, uh, the true evils of, um, like, contemporary people. Hmm. Um, so that's, like, like, that's the one plot. And the other plot is um, there's this kind of, like, crazy dude who just kind of, like, goes insane and like kills his family and starts just like sniping random people that's that's a bit of a change from the first bit yeah. of uh, plot you gave me <laughs> but it's interesting i'm very confused it's 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 interesting because there's kind of this commentary in the film about um well one violence in america i assume, I assume they bridge eventually yeah 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 i'll, I'll get to that um so the one this com this commentary on violence in america uh this like obsession with guns in american yeah. culture but also um it kind of shows the inadequacies of a lot of um, earlier films to address the real like societal problems of um, of America. Yeah. Um, and so that's why there's like they have like literally a an aging actor play like a version of himself um, versus well, like the true evils of today, which is re represented by this like um, crazy sniper guy. So I thought it was really good, and I actually think it's Bogdanovich's best. Um, at least that Sounds I've seen. really interesting. Yeah, it was, and it's really interesting because I've never actually heard about it at all. The only reason I watched it was because it was leaving the Criterion channel, and I'd already watched two other Bogdanovich films, and I figured I might as well just watch this last one. Personally, I think Bogdanovich's best movie is his cameo in It Chapter 2. <laughs> I think his best, his best role is uh, the psychiatrist to the psychiatrist in The Sopranos. That shit's funny as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he's such a, he's such an interesting character. I mean, this man's like everywhere. He, uh, was a really big fan of Orson Welles too. Um. Oh yeah. He's in F for fake, isn't he? I don't remember if he's in F for fake, but he's, he's in, um, other side of the wind. Hmm. And, um, he was actually the one trusted by Wells to finish the film, which nice. he finally did two years ago. Yeah, um, so that, that was He looked at his calendar, and he was like, oh, shit, Orson asked me to do this, like, forever ago. <laughs> yeah, they're probably on a first-name basis. <laughs> um, yeah, and I also watched um, Repulsion, which is, uh, it's a horror film by Polanski, my favorite director. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I, I don't like it. This man has, has hated the uh, the first two movies we watched. Yeah, I wasn't really Those being of... probably his two most famous yeah, I don't really Rosemary's like, Baby in Chinatown. I wasn't really a big fan of either of those, but I actually really like Repulsion. Um, I think it's probably one of my favorite horror movies. Um, I definitely recommend it if you're a horror fan. Um, it does. It don't does directly support Polanski though. No, don't. <laughs> um, his, uh, I think that it did a really interesting stuff with like the budget it had. The budget yeah. was like sixty-five thousand, but I always love seeing that kind of shit. Just like mm -hmm. what people are able to do on. Yeah. You know, like Halloween and all that, like right. Evil Dead. Right, right. It's yeah. always a horror movie. It's always a horror movie. Well, yeah, because, like... I mean, horror movies are cheap to make. But also, yeah. um, just because you don't have any money doesn't mean you can't make an interesting film. True. Um, there's a lot of really cool things it does. Uh, this film does with the cinematography. 
Um, and I think the depiction of um, a person with like mental uh, problems or like I think I think the main character is like had like some kind of uh, traumatic childhood. I think it was really really well done. Um, nice. Yeah, and finally I watched uh, Rafifi, which is a um, uh, a French heist film. It's considered the godfather of the heist genre, <laughs> um, and I thought it was pretty good. The heist scene is one of the best I've seen actually. Even though it was like considered the first high scene, how does it compare to Heat? Heat, uh, well, yeah, I mean Heat is Heat, right? <laughs> <laughs> I liked I liked overall Rafifi more than Heat. I wasn't a really big fan of the melodrama in Heat. Yeah, but um, yeah, the high scene in Rafifi was amazing. It's basically like just thirty or forty mil- minutes of complete silence, like no dialogue, um, and it's like one of the most tense, you know, buildups I've ever seen. Um, I would, I'd, cool. I'd recommend it. So that's yeah. that's that's kind of what I've been doing recently. I just watched some films. Cool. Uh, been playing anything? Yeah, I finished Dark Souls two, <laughs> which is terrible game. Yeah. Uh, so you, I saw that you kept playing it. Well, even, might as, even I might as last well, episode you also said it was shitty. I might as well kill the bosses because I, I got so. this far. But I beat I all. I guess so. I, I beat the final boss in the DLC. The DLC is okay. But oh my god, as a Dark Souls fan, like, it's just such a bad game. I can get into that, but I don't think we have enough time. Yeah. <laughs> it's alright. Oh, shall all we right. wrap well, it up? Yeah, I think that's that's it for us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week.